Let me say good morning. There was a philosopher by the name of uh, Xanthus, and he told his servant that he's going to have a lot of friends over for uh, dinner the next day. And so he told his servant to go out to the marketplace and get the best there. And anyway, the next day came. All of the guests are sitting there at the table, and um, there is Xanthus, and all he sees is nothing but five courses of tongue, cut in different ways, different shapes, but it's all tongue. And of course, he comes to the servant and says, uh, didn't I tell you to get the best thing in the market? He says, I did. I got the best thing. Uh, the tongue is an organ of eloquence. The tongue is an organ of kindness. The tongue speaks worship. It's the best. Okay. So, Xanthus then asks, okay, tomorrow, I want you to go out and get the worst thing in the marketplace. And I'll have my friends and guests over. And so, he did. And he comes to the table with his guest again. And there are five courses of tongue. All cut in sorts, all sorts of different shapes and sizes. And it was still tongue. And he said, I told you to go out and get the worst thing. And he says, I did. The tongue is the organ of blasphemy. The tongue is the organ of defaming. The tongue also lies. It's the worst, but it's the best, but it's the worst. And I think you probably get the moral of that story. The, the tongue can so easily be so good, but be so evil. And it is very difficult to control. And as a result, a person's speech can actually show and expose his spiritual state. If you listen to one long enough with his mouth, what's going to come out is what's in the heart. And uh, we've been emphasizing the new man. And as a new man, what we do is we go into this section today and, of course, we see the speech of the new man and how the speech actually changed. There's a redeemed tongue. Have you ever thought of yourself of having, uh, having a redeemed tongue? Now, you probably wouldn't want to... I don't know how many here would enjoy eating tongue. I myself really wouldn't get into that. And most people go, okay, that's, that's enough. I don't want to hear any more. But even a redeemed tongue is something that is really good because it can speak to God. It can speak to fellow believers. And it can speak to the lost world. So the new man has a new speech. Of course, just like anything else, the man has to battle with uh, the flesh. And uh, that's a constant battle. Now, chapter 3 started this subject of the new man. And we discovered personal characteristics of the new man. Some of the sins that a new man no longer does. So he puts those clothes off and he puts on new clothes. Clothes of righteousness. And he's filled with the Word of Christ. Then we saw how the new man is to be at church as he sings psalms and hymns and spiritual songs saying thanksgiving, uh, their people are in the church as they are um, teaching and admonishing one another. So that's how they respond there. Then how uh, believers, the new man, now is to respond at home and how the 
believer or the new man is to respond at work or school or the marketplace, anywhere you go. And, uh, of course, that's kind of where we're heading into today. Uh, But we are to be controlled by God's Spirit. If we're not controlled by God's Spirit, who knows what this tongue that we have that's in the new man can still do. Um, It is said that uh, in an ancient story, there was uh, one that was uh, to be a wise man, I guess is what he was. His name was Bios. He was from Greece. And um, he was sent an animal to sacrifice. Now, he was instructed to send back to the donor the best and worst parts of the animal. He sent the donor the tongue. (laughs) The tongue is indeed the best and the worst of man. Speech is a gift of God. And it's all going to depend on how we use that. It must be the way that God has ordained it. Uh, it can represent the best of mankind because of Christ who is in us. If you look in the book of James, you get the same uh, analogies. It shows the best and the worst. Um, there are th- three sets of pictures. Uh, tongue is compared to a bridle and a rudder. And that represents direction. And then a fire and a poisonous animal. You'll see that in James also. And then a fruitful tree and a fountain. And so therefore, those three pairs are teaching us that the tongue can direct, as small as it is, it has the power to destroy, and it also has the power to delight. So our speech can accomplish things for good and for evil. It's an amazing thing what it can do. It's kind of like our bodies. Our bodies can be under the control of God's Spirit or not, and so good or bad. So in our present text uh, today, we're going to focus on speech to God, and that's where it all starts, doesn't it? In prayer, then our speech to a fellow man, and uh, absolutely to the people that are lost in the unbelieving world, of how we can relate to them with our tongue. Um, So we start with verse 2. And why don't we just uh, stretch, take our Bibles, if you may. Turn to Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. This is in honor of God's Word as uh, He speaks to us today. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the Word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your precious Word and Your Holy Spirit who empowers us to understand what You have given. The best communication that there is in all the universe is the Word of God. That's Christ. And so as You speak today about this particular subject of the tongue, the mouth, the way that we speak, that we could further honor You as we're instructed by Your Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, Colossians 4, verse 2. 
the first thing that he starts with, and Paul does this in order so much of the time because that's what it's all about. It starts with God. Anything that we do, we have to realize there's a source that we have to draw from. We just are not told to do something just to be doing things. We are equipped. And he says, go to the Lord. Go to the Lord first. At the very heart of our speech is full devotion to prayer. If we start the day and we are praying always, we're not too likely to be saying things that would dishonor God. And so he first goes to the Lord, Paul does here, and uh, when you think of prayer, when you think of worship, that's the best thing, the highest use of the gift of speech. When we are praising God, when we're praying, I can't think of any higher use than that kind of of the speech. It's the strength of the believer's fellowship, the way that we speak with each other, and realizing the source of the very power that we have comes from God. Now, the word um, devote yourselves to prayer, kartareo, and it means to be courageously persistent. Keep on. Continue. Don't stop. Don't give up. Don't quit. It's a continual prayer. I think of uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Jesus is speaking here, and He tells them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. Pray, don't lose heart. Don't give up. Keep at it. Be persistent. In Acts chapter 1, And there you have uh, people that are praying. And it's the upper upper room where they are meeting together and they're praying there. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with His brothers, all the disciples, the 120 in that room. And they were continually devoting themselves to prayer. And that's the idea, the courageous persistence. We are to be in constant communion with God. Uh, Scripture says praying always. Of course, we've covered this many times, even in Colossians we've we've seen that. But praying always, being God conscious. Uh, There was a, a guy by the name of Brother Lawrence. He wrote a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. And he said this, The time of business does not differ with me from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the time calling for different things, I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were on my knees. He's saying whether I'm a business, whether I'm in the kitchen and then the dishes are clattering, uh, whether I am dealing with a bunch of people and they're all asking me questions at the same time, and he says, I still have my tranquility in that I have an ongoing prayer life with Christ. He's there. There's another level that goes above and beyond where we're at at the time. So we're still in communion with the Lord even though we're talking with other people. And just knowing He's there and He's guiding us. So we are to persist in that prayer. That's how we can do that always. God conscious in every experience of our lives. Now here's another one. We see that in Scripture that actually we wrestle in prayer. Have you ever wrestled in prayer? Have you ever felt like you've wrestled? Have you ever felt like you've struggled in prayer? Well, after I'm done with this, you'll probably say, oh, that's what he means by wrestling in prayer. Well, <clears throat> we know first of all, God loves... <coughs> excuse me. 
God loves to answer prayers. He's in the business of that. He loves to answer your prayers. He wants you to be before that throne as much as you can. And He wants to answer. But one thing that He also does is that He likes to delay His answers also. Because when He delays His answer, it makes us persist. And it makes us continue. Maybe we might even start changing the way that we think in our prayers. But He wants us to grow stronger in our faith and our devotion. So that's why sometimes He will withhold it. He might withhold it for quite some time. But it's to increase our knowledge of God and at the same time to accomplish His purpose. Realizing His purpose is going to be done and when we get to get in on it, and then later we might see what He was doing. We may not, uh, but uh, a lot we do. We get to see, well, that's what you were doing, God. About ready to give up on you, Lord. (laughs) You ever been there? And then you, you see it in hindsight. Well, there is a warning that I have about prayer. I'd be going amiss here if I didn't tell you there's a warning. Well, you tell us that that's what we're supposed to do. Where are you warning? Well, once you start really persisting with Him, you might find yourself, like Paul did, shipwrecked on an island. That was a man of God who prayed always, who took the Gospel out to people, who preached and taught and lived the Christian life, but yet he was shipwrecked. How about finding yourself in a lion's den like Daniel as he continued to pray the way that he knew that was the right way to pray and he was put in a lion's den. Uh, C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia said something always sticks with me. Jesus is not safe. I have to be careful with that, but I think you understand what I'm saying. He's not a tame lion. It's not always going to be soft and gentle the way that we would design everything. Sometimes He's going to put it in ways that we would think, boy, why is He making it so hard? Well, we just don't battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. You know... Who else we battle with? God. Have you ever thought of that? Now, we once were enemies and we battled with God. But even today, we struggle with Him. You think of Jacob at Peniel. And there was a night where he actually wrestled with God. Literally wrestled with Him. And he struggled there. And he got a new name. Israel. And that name means to persist with God. He did. So there's a literal picture there of what we do spiritually. And we too must be prepared to say, I will not let you go till you bless me. That's what Jacob said. Did we say that too? Well, hopefully we're doing it. We're letting him do what he's doing, but we're hanging right on and we keep persisting. Devote yourselves to prayer. Moses, you remember him? Now, he intervened for the children of Israel who did some pretty wicked things. And yet he intervened for them because he knew the character of God. Then you remember Abraham who actually prayed for Sodom. 50, 40, 30, 20, 10. (laughs) He kept persisting. How about the widow demanding justice? 
from the unjust judge. Remember that story? But Jacob, in his combat, will remember that he was actually put out of joint. If you'll remember it, his thigh was put out of joint. God did that. That wasn't too nice. As he put that wrestle, he went away lame out of that deal. So what kind of God is that? Well, when we wrestle with God in prayer, we actually put our whole lives at stake. We're putting it on Him. Saying, no matter what your will is. Or maybe I don't see your will in this. This is what I think I would like, Lord. And this is what I think is best. And this is what I think is in your will. But it might be something different. And then when we see that later on, we go, oh, I'm I'm glad you were thinking that way, Lord, and uh, not thinking the way I was thinking. So when we persist in prayer, strange things can happen to us. People like Abraham can go to some place where he doesn't even know where he's going. You ever done that? (laughs) No, you don't have any idea where you're going. Or you might wind up in prison like Jeremiah or Paul. Right? How can I tell you here to pray and then at the same time remember some of those stories that are in Scripture and say you may wind up lame? How can I do that? Well, I have to be truthful. I could say everything is going to work out perfect, and it will, and everything will be comfortable and easy from here on out, and you're going to be blessed with a whole bunch of money, and you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and everything's going to be perfect. I could say that, and I'll tell you what, everybody would eat it up, and we might have more people here. (laughs) But biblically, can I really say that if I know the Bible? I can't say that. I would like to say that, but that's because sometimes I'm self-centered. We have to keep holding on to God. That's the idea. Real prayer involves struggling. I need to learn that even more. To, to grapple with God. To expose what our deepest concerns are and bring them to Him. Uh, it's courageous. That's why in that devote yourselves to prayer, it's courageous persistence. Being courageous, knowing that this may not turn out the way that I'd like it to do it. There's a tension here between having a boldness and at the same time waiting on God's will. You ever wondered that? Be still. Wait on God's will, but at the same time come boldly before the throne. And the tension is there. But it's at the same time accepting God's answer when it finally comes. And we know it is there. This is how we can grow in grace. Um, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it. And we've gone through this many times. Alert is being watchful. Alert is staying awake, not falling asleep. Looking for things which we ought to be praying for. Seeing other people's needs that, uh, that are specific, that we know they need. Real prayer demands spiritual energy. It's checking out, seeing the things there. So it's being alert to the needs around us. Uh, of course, I think of Jesus and the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. And He said, be watchful, be alert, right? And they went to sleep. <laughs> With an attitude of thanksgiving. That's another part of uh, prayer. Thanksgiving. And of course, how many times have we mentioned that in this Scripture uh, in Colossians? This is the fifth time in the letter that he's mentioned being thankful. Uh, Paul remembers God's goodness. 
Paul remembers the things that he has done. And when you go back to the Old Testament, you think of Joshua having stones of remembrance. They're going to cross the water, and uh, but he was to build stones there, you know, as they crossed there, and that was to be a remembrance of what happened and how God blessed him and the people. And so uh, we should have stones of remembrance. When we remember, we are thanking God. We're thanking Him, being thankful, and there's always something to be thankful for, right? Um, and, and remember that Paul wrote this letter in prison while he's being thankful to God. Be thankful for God for His presence. Be thankful for His provision that He has, for His pardon, and for His promises. Be thankful for those. What's the next one? Praying at the same time for us as well that God will open to us a door for the Word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been in prison. Here's evangelistic prayer. So he's talking to God and then he's saying, hey, you pray for me, you pray for others that they'd be able to take the Gospel out, right? Uh, An open door for the Word. Paul wanted to be prayed for so that he and others could get the Gospel out. That they get it out. And that's the idea. He wasn't praying that the prison doors be open. He's, he's praying for an open door. Get that, right? And you think, oh, the open door of prison, boom, God just opens that thing up, boom, He just kind of walks out of there. <laughs> and that happened before with Peter. But it didn't happen with Paul here. It, uh, he's praying that an open door for the Gospel would be proclaimed. An open door means opportunity. And so we pray to God to open those doors, don't we? Uh, when he is the one who opens them. We'll never open them up. We'd like to. We'd like to force it. We'd like to keep, come in with the battering ram and just just bolt that door open. And you know what? Boom! You bounce off of it. And you go, huh, I can't get through there. <laughs> and you try other ones. And then later, he has a door that's open for us. Amazing. Just a couple of scriptures or so dealing with that. It's kind of... Good to be reminded. And it's 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 8 and 9. Paul says this, but I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. Here's my plan. For a wide door for effective service has opened to me. And there are many episodes. <laughs> wide door. For effective service. When you have effective service, though, you might probably expect the adversaries. I'm saying that low. <laughs> a wide door. Great opportunity. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. Just a few pages over, actually. Now, when I come to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord, I had no rest for my spirit, not finding Titus, my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. The, the door came open to them. And so you see that several times throughout uh, Scripture. That the door for the Word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. Mysteries of Christ, uh, real quickly, you know, we cover this several times throughout the epistles. Uh, it means something that was hidden in the Old Testament. Uh, it's now revealed in the New. It's uh, something that God has just brought forth that uh, people didn't know before. Paul was imprisoned. 
And one of the reasons that he was in prison is because he spoke the mystery of Christ. And one aspect of that is the Gentiles were now being included into the church and they become one. So he was put into prison as the Jews heard him preach that, that now God was turning the gospel out to all people. And the Jews didn't like that, even though they'd become Christians, or supposedly. And so they might have been responsible, some of them, of putting Paul into prison as he proclaimed this truth. Mr. Christ, and I think in the context here probably means for the most part the, the, the whole content of the, of the Gospel, the Word of God here. And he says, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned, see, there it is, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Clear in the way that I ought to speak. That is probably something we have stated to the Lord many times. If there's been somebody that we know that needs the gospel and you, you ask the Lord open the door give me the opportunity have them open it up and Lord give me the words to say how many times have you guys said that probably many times and uh, that would be the prayer here that Paul is saying and and uh, it can mean probably a couple of different things or so you know I, I think for one thing it it definitely meant ought to speak uh, the compulsion of the gospel. I mean, as far as Paul is concerned, um, I think in First uh, Corinthians nine sixteen says, "If I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel." So he says, "I have no choice." And and believe me, uh, it wasn't that. He was, hey, I don't want to do this, but I'll do it anyway. No, he, I mean, that was his life. That's what he wanted to do. You know, God put it to him. But he was under that compulsion. He really didn't have a choice. That's what he was going to do. And God says, do it. You do it, right? And so that would be one thing about ought to speak. We ought to speak. We know that's called for all of us. We, we, we ought to, to speak the Word of God. Uh, and it also can mean... And I think even more importantly, or just as important, is to refer here to the way that God has ordained to bring forth the Gospel. To bring forth in a way that people need to see their sin. They need to repent of their sin. They need to have faith in that sacrifice. Those kind of things are all throughout the book of Acts the way the Gospel was presented. Repentance and faith. You see those two just hand in hand. Christ preached it. Apostles preached it. It's actually through the Old Testament also. But that is what we offer. In Ephesians 6.19 it says, solemnly testifying. That's in Acts 21. I'm sorry. Solemnly testifying. Solemnly testifying. It means to give a thorough and complete testimony. We just don't want to come in there and offer a half-hearted gospel that's just so weak that nobody really knows what it means. It's kind of muddy, hazy. It's like uh, you need to ask Jesus into your heart. Well, there's no repentance Involved. There's really no faith involved. What is that? What is asking him in his in your heart? Uh, c- come to Jesus, and that's all. 
That's not very clear at all, is it? Hey, here's the kingdom. You must repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Does that sound familiar? Jesus said that. Peter preached the gospel on that first on that day of Pentecost as he preached that gospel he brought forth the matter that brought them to their knees they were under conviction and that's what the gospel has to do to be proclaimed clearly and boldly uh, in modern evangelism so much of the time not all the time but it's an experience oriented evangelism and it goes like this well here's what happened to me Jesus came into my life. And, you know, and I'm not discounting our personal testimony. That sure can go a long way. Maybe it can even open it up. It's helpful to bring that. Yes, we all have a testimony. We have a story and don't forget it. And use it. But just don't leave it with that unless you bring forth repentance and faith and trusting in the sacrifice of Christ. Another way that it's being presented today is when you come to Jesus, and I've said this earlier, life will change for you. It does. It changes for the better. But everything's going to work out and everything's going to be a lot better in your life. Your finances is going to get better. Your marriage is going to get better. Uh, you're going to have more comforts and prosperity. All the peace and prosperity. That's what happens in our modern evangelism today. Listen, you don't, you don't know how much better it is just to have Jesus. Just... Just say, Jesus, I want you in my life. And everything will be good. That's not really biblical. Now, there are some results that do come out of that. And yes, it is better. A lot better, isn't it? But Jesus also said, and we must warn them, otherwise, whenever hard times come, they uh, may say, I thought this was going to be a lot better life. It's gotten worse for me. I've heard people say that. And and in some ways, yeah. I mean, the, the physical senses... In this world, you will have tribulation. Who said that? Paul, right? Jesus said that. In this world, you will have tribulation. A slave is no greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will persecute you also. And that wasn't just for the apostles. And of course, the value of studying church history, and I always get the plug in <laughs> for Wednesday, the value of that is to see that didn't just stop We see it in the New Testament and then we saw it through church history. All 2,000 years that has been there in some manner or form. And I'm not saying, hey, we need to be persecuted. But uh, what we're saying is the Gospel is going to entail that. Um, Through many tribulations, you must enter the kingdom of God. That's what Paul said when he came back through the churches and they were going through some really tough trials. And he says, this is all part of it. He reminds them of that. I'm not trying to think negative. We're just saying this is positive stuff. But he does some things to us to make us change. The Gospel must be presented in the way that's presented in Scripture. The way that I ought to speak. And I want you guys to do this. As Paul says... Pray for me. I'm going to personalize this and say, please pray for me every week. If you can think of it a few times during the week, I would appreciate it as I go about my study and the way that I need to bring it forth and proclaim this Gospel. 
And the more that are praying for me as I study and meditate on it and think about it and say, what's the best way to bring this forth to our people and what they need? Lord, it's Your Word, but how can I bring it forth in a way that will speak to us in a living way? And as people are praying for me, as I pray for that, do you know what? God is going to honor it and He's going to speak to us even in a more powerful way. So I'm begging, keep praying for me throughout the week. If you haven't thought about that, then I'm challenging you. Okay? Now I need to keep praying for you guys. And that's what I'm supposed to do. And, and matter of fact, each one of us should not be just praying for me, not only my family, but all the other families. And you start praying for everybody here because we're all to be presenting the gospel anyway. Wouldn't, wouldn't you like to know that there are people praying for you? Believe me, people tell me all the time, hey, I'm praying for them, I've been praying for them and, and them, you know, and hey, look at the thing. They're not even encountering anything right now and I'm still praying for them. I, you know, I hear things like that. That's pretty cool. I like that. But uh, that's the way you can help your pastor the most. Just pray for him. I just, that, I'm telling you, that gets me excited. Pray that I would get deeper insight. That I would have something that would speak to each one of you here in a powerful way that would really affect us. Right? And God is the one who knows that. So, uh, And also that, that you'd pray for me that I would be able to practice the Word that I preach, that that would come alive in my own life in a powerful way. Not only you guys could see it, but other people could see it. Other people than in their own lives. So the Word can be reaching our hearts and minds in a powerful way. It's the Word of God. The Word of God speaks as we speak to Him. Now we go to part two. And this is the speech to the lost world. So we speak to God and He has just kind of introduced taking it to the lost and now that's what we get into when He says, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders. Making the most of your opportunity. And and so the speech to the lost world is first of all going to involve the walk. And then the talk. That's easy, isn't it? And that's exactly how Paul has outlined this part. The walk and the talk. What's conduct? Conduct yourselves with wisdom. Walking. Walking in daily life. Walking wisely in daily life. The walk is what will make our talk. The walk will make the, the talk. It will make it effective. When people see that that really is for real in our lives, the effect now really happens when we do get a chance to talk. Our words won't mean anything if our lives do not line up with what we say we believe. And uh, the consistency has to be there. The uh, early church... Right in the biblical early church days, they lived out the truth of the gospel for the most part in their personal and corporate lives. And in Acts, it's worded as they turned the world upside down. They made a huge impact. It was effective because their walk was right on. And so we say, may that be said of us. Right? For God's glory. Now, the word wisdom. Uh, we're familiar with this. How many times have we used this? But go to Proverbs 9.10. And it's nice. When we turn to Scripture, a lot of times it's a great exercise just to do that and say, 
Ooh, next time I need that, maybe I'll remember this this time. How many times have you gone to a passage and you go, where is that at? I know. But when we're reminded, we go, oh yeah, I, uh, I just, I learned that last week. I know where that's at now. The more and more in the Word of God is what happens. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So where does our fear start? Well, the fear of the Lord... That's where everything is fit to be at. And then as a result, we now start to have wisdom. We, we apply it. It's vital to know the source of our wisdom. We have no wisdom without, without Christ. Absolutely no wisdom. When we have the knowledge of God, then we put it into application and there's a wise Christian. And we know it's really easy to have a lot of knowledge here. If one doesn't live it, doesn't apply it, that person is doing some foolish things that doesn't line up. He has no wisdom. has a lot of knowledge. Yeah, look at that. All that's shooting right out of his mouth. I mean, it's right and it's true, but how can I believe it from that guy? Right? But it's applying that. Walking in wisdom is being very careful to not say anything that would damage our very testimony that we have. It would be very difficult to share the Gospel if we're saying things that sound like things that come right out of the world. People are used to that. It means to be alert, to use opportunities that God has given for personal witnessing. He opens a door. When we have credibility with what we say and with what we do, it makes an effect. Sometimes we may not ever see that effect. But we don't want to jeopardize our very testimony. Uh, he uses the word outsiders. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders. Pretty easy, right? Outside the family of God. The unbelievers. The lost. They are outsiders. And Throughout Scripture, you'll see something like that. Here's what we're supposed to do. Now, we've already talked about in church, and at home, in the workplace. Now he says, out there, where they're at. You take that same thing that you have in your head and make sure you live it out there. Conduct before them. The family of God. We're with each other here, and it's easy. When you go to the outsiders, it's a little harder, isn't it? The outside world watches us whether we know it or not. We forget about it. And they can be very critical of us. Sometimes they're very right. And sometimes they can make it look on the outside better than a lot of Christians do. Now, that's a shame, isn't it? But only when believers live wisely will people who are watching us, they may not understand for a while, they might get very angry, but some might be able to be affected because the power of God is involved in that. may change their mind, may not. And you hear a lot where it does change minds. Or, you know, I've heard where spouses have watched the other spouse. And they're very... uh, slow to jump on the bandwagon with this because they haven't convinced me yet. I'm going to watch them. And they have every right to do that. They should. Because if they if they make a, a lot of stumbles after that, stumbles are stumbles and that's going to happen, but believe me, that other one's going to hold it to them. 
And they say, well, what are you talking about Jesus Christ for? Which, you know, you, yeah, you're a Christian, but I don't see a bit of Christianity in your life. How can you uh, affect me with that? Or you hear people's lives have changed so drastically. They watch them for a week, two weeks, three weeks, and they go, there must be something to this. This happens over and over and over. It really does. It's the power of God. It's working in us. It says, making the most of your opportunity. Verse 5. Making the most of your opportunity means to redeem the time. You remember how Colossians and Ephesians are close together in a lot of things? In Ephesians 5, verse 16... says in verse 15, Therefore be careful how you walk. Sounds like cautions, right? Not as unwise men, but as wise. Don't walk like the unwise. They're doing that. Don't do that. Making the most of your time. Because the days are evil. Making the most of your time. And that means to buy up the time. Redeem the time. Buy it up. Uh, there's only so much time here. Life is short. And every day... There are people right now who are dying without Christ. Right now, somebody's dying without Christ. That's sad. Kind of affects us a little bit, doesn't it? It's really short. Whatever opportunity you have, go buy it up. Jump on it. Do it. Redeem the time. Buy up the opportunity. Hey, how many people here like to shop? We must have one or two here, right? You have any shoppers here? <laughs> All you shoppers know a bargain. I mean a real bargain when you see it. Everybody here pretty well likes bargains. Everybody likes bargains, right? When you see that, and you're thinking, huh, you know what? I'm not going to see this kind of deal again. I better get it now. Because if I go home, I know I'm going to continue to think about it. And then when I come back, guess what? It's not going to be there. Do we all think that way? That's well, a good way to think. It's a good way to manage your money. That's a good thing. If there's a, something that you need and you know you've been wanting it and you're seeing it now and you're going, um, I need to get this. this. This is a bargain. So you seize that opportunity because you may not get the opportunity again. And that's the way it is with the Gospel to the lost people. Today is the day. Remember that song we sang? Not only to worship God, but in everything. Today is the day. Right now, we have no guarantee of tomorrow, do we? We really don't. It'll probably be here, just like all the other days have been. We don't know that. Buy it up. Live like today Christ could come back. Knowing that. Boy, that would really behoove us, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that move us a little more? The time is now. Those infomercials. Don't you love us? Buy now! <laughs> Buy now! They have that now. Well, the Gospel says now. And that's the real now, isn't it? The now for believers to speak with their lives. So the walk is in verse 5. And then in verse 6 is the talk. Let your speech always be with grace. Ooh. Did you notice that always? As though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. When we have consistency of life, then we can open our mouths. We must follow it up, though, with a consistency of speech. And that means we're not to be quiet. If we're living it, 
And you just don't do it by example. And that's a big thing, example. But we just don't live by example. We also speak it. It's not enough simply to walk wisely and carefully before unbelievers. What if Jesus would have just walked on earth and just done nice things and never spoke anything about the Gospel? How about Paul? Can you imagine that? You don't see that through Scripture. We must speak it. Share the message with them. And how do we do it? Let your speech always be with grace. Not just some of the time or most of the time. Yeah, but I have the, I have the right to be ungraceful sometimes. <laughs> That just blew us away there, didn't it? We never have the right to be ungracious. Always be with grace. Wow. That just now spoke to me. Controlled by grace. Look in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only... Such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Anything that resembles things that are from our past, worldly things, unwholesome, something that is not edifying can be close to Filthy. Things that's questionable. Curse words, cuss words, those kind of things. Those kind of things don't have any, really shouldn't have any existence in the Christian's mouth. No place there at all. We want to have grace coming out of us. Look at Ephesians 4.15. I should have looked this up before I did that one. There, Paul was talking quite a bit to the Ephesians there. But speaking the truth in love. So there you have grace. Now you have love. Speaking the truth in love and grace. Grace on our hearts. Speaking with grace. If you have grace here, then it should be coming out of the fountain with grace. Grace in our hearts and on our lips will be faithful witnesses. And then we won't be judges and prosecuting attorneys, but we'll be coming out still speaking truth, but with love. We need to remember Jesus and how He offered His truth when He was walking here. There was grace on His lips. And everybody would wonder at the gracious words which proceeded out of His mouth. They all marveled. They were amazed at His Speech, the way that he talked, the way that he preached this. Nobody had ever been like that before. Well, of course, it's God. <laughs> but that's who we're to model. Look in Luke 4.22. Jesus says uh, this in his uh, in the uh, meeting that they had on the Sabbath in the tabernacle. It's his time. He's reading the Word of God. Verse 20, he closes the book, gives it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, 
This Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now listen to this. And all were speaking well of Him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from His lips. And they're saying, isn't this Joseph's son? They couldn't believe what came out of there. Imagine the eloquence. And he just read Scripture. Even when the Lord was dealing with sin, He spoke words of grace. I can think of kindness, being sensitive, speaking complimentary of people, being gentle, being truthful, being loving, being thoughtful. Boy, what a change it is when you're a new man. All those things start to dominate your thoughts and your speaking just changes drastically. And then he says, seasoned with salt. Huh. Saying grace, and then he kind of flops over on his side and says, seasoned with salt. And you think of salt. Well, everyone likes salt to put on the food. So it adds flavor to it. We want to add flavor. But also, salt is a purifying agent you know, to keep from corruption. And you put salt into a wound, and it stings. Sometimes the Word of God, even when you do it lovingly, when you speak truth, it can sting. And they may not like what you just gave. But it could change their lives. So, a believer's speech is to have, when it takes maybe some charm, maybe it'll take a, a little bit of humor, some wit. I think it's C.H. Spurgeon. Well, he was able to deliver the Word of God and people came by the thousands to that church. Amazing man. <laughs> There's not too many people running around like Spurgeon. They haven't seen one since. But he had all of these. And boy, it sure helps when we can we can make even the gospel saying with with absolute truth and everything that it is, not compromising, and at the same time making it very palatable. Telling this is this is real truth. Then I think of the sacrifices. Even in the sacrifice in the Old Testament, there was salt that put on the sacrifices. Our words are like spiritual sacrifices to God. In First Peter, actually, go to Hebrews thirteen fifteen for a moment, and we'll finish up. Thirteen fifteen. Through Him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that gives thanks to His name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Our words are actually sacrifices. We don't do the the oxen, the bulls, the lambs, the doves, whatever. We don't do those. We, we speak. We praise God. It's coming from our lips. That's a sacrifice. It comes from Him. First Peter 3.15 talks about being able to give the apologia, the defense of the Gospel. But he balances that also. And Peter, of all people, one who had quite a mouth... Uh, Matter of fact, he always had uh, his foot in his mouth quite often, didn't he? <laughs> As he was changed, 
Here's what he says. But sanctify, set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. What a balance. The truth with gentleness and reverence. That's a difficult thing. But with God's Spirit, we can do it. And we learn better how to do it as we do it. Believers must know how to say the right thing at the right time so that you'll know how you should respond to each person in our Colossians passage there. While we are to have convictions and no compromise whatsoever, we must also cultivate. And cultivate is something that goes on and working with that. And it's not automatic right from the very outset, but it, it starts to grow. Cultivate a gracious spirit of love. We are to show our care, our concern for people, and whatever they need at the moment, to be able to give that word that they need. Meet them where they're at, right? Whatever that be. How you should respond to each person. Well, as Christ is in us, He's the Word. He's the ultimate communication. We've been talking about communication here today. Here's how you live it out there in the world amongst the unbelievers. Our best response is to allow our heart to overflow with the Word of God that's in us as uh, He dwells richly within us. The Word of God, Colossians says, let it flow out with communication. Our hearts flow back to God, first of all, with what He's put us, given us with this Word, flows back to God in prayerful devotion, with watchfulness, with thanksgiving, and then what must flood out of us to the world is the Gospel in clarity, very clear, in grace, salty. This is the way that we were really made to communicate. The way that was natural to us We see that, hear that all the time. It's all over the television and and wherever it be, we hear some very distasteful speech. And we are the ones who can bring that grace out. And if we're filled with the fullness of Christ, we'll be thinking, we'll be living, we'll be speaking the way that represents Christ as He empowers us. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your great truth and how we are to deliver it as we pray to You and that we would have the right things to say to believers, unbelievers, anybody around us, that we could show the sweet grace of Jesus Christ in our lives. And may we remember that, not just say, hey, I agree with that, and about two minutes later, we're, we're doing something different. May, as we think, have be like-minded. And may our speech be honoring to You. May we be filled with grace. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.